Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash auction podcast for your free audiobook download. Hey everyone, this is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Podcast, and I'm in Sacramento, California, and I'm at the American Bottle Auctions headquarters. I'm with Jeff Wishman and Chi Chi. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for coming, Martin. Sure, sure. Really appreciate it. And I got a whole bunch of questions for you because Bottles was uh, actually, I have a real connection with Bottles. It was kind of how my father and I and everyone sort of started in our business way back in the late 60s. So going way back, you weren't even around at this point. No, yeah. not for decades. Decades after. <laughs> anyway, so we're in the office, and I just want to explain to you, I'm going to have a couple of images, or I'm going to have a little bit of video up on our website, and it's a great office. There's some wonderful bottles here. Now, this is for an upcoming auction. Some of the bottles you see in here in my office, these are mostly uh, my collection, part of my collection. And the uh, bottles out in the showroom are the ones that are coming up for our next auction. I see. Uh huh. And one of the things I want to just say right off the bat, I noticed your photography is very nice with bottles, the colors. Is yeah, I have. Uh, that's an ongoing process. I've been working mm-hmm. on that for 15 years. And uh, uh, it seems like uh, we take uh, two steps forward and one step back. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm getting to the point where, yeah, we're, um, we're getting some really good photographs. I, I actually see my photographs in other advertisements and, and around. <laughs> Plagiarism. Yeah. yeah, well, hey, um, you know. It's flattering. It's yeah. very flattering. Yeah. Now, just quickly, the little story that I was going to just tell. Um, years ago, back in the 60s, my father bought a beautiful old Victorian house. And in the barn, there was a lot of uh, junk and in that junk there was uh, all kinds of bottles and some of them were really colorful and everything and my sisters and I decided to have a yard sale even though yard sales were really very popular on a Saturday and by the time we got done we sold over $40 worth now we're talking like 1968 you know going way way back and that was big money and my father came home and he, he he couldn't believe that we got $40 for stuff out of the barn and most of it was bottles there was some really unusual, colorful bottles, and uh, later um, I got into bottle digging back in New England, all because of this whole thing stemming from the bottle dumps around in the area, the early colonial homes in New England, and and you go out there with a, a clam rake and very carefully dig down into these bottle dumps, and it's a treasure hunt. It was a lot of fun. I did a lot of that. Yeah, it's uh, still very popular. Um, Bottle digging uh, is still alive and well, although the uh, chances of finding something really, really good are lessening every day. With more parking lots and and buildings going up, um, the Mm -hmm. old uh, digging places are becoming less and less prevalent. Yes. Now, uh, when when it's back in New England, it's colonial times, do you... And people do dig still. My friend I mentioned earlier uh, goes out almost every weekend, looks for old foundations um, in the woods, basically where it was cleared at one time in a farm, and then he'll search around for the bottle dump, find it, and start digging. Do you get a lot of your consignments for your auctions from the East Coast, or is it mostly out here? 
Um, actually, it's it's almost reflective of our audience. Um, I I believe we have about a third of our audience um, in the West, uh, west of say uh, the Rockies, mm-hmm. and uh, two thirds of it. Um, more eastern and that's kind of how um, our bottles usually end up about two-thirds of them are eastern and the other third are from the west mm-hmm. so we have a really we started really more concentrating on western bottles because that's what I collected mm-hmm. and of course eastern bottles started slipping in and <laughs> um, next thing you know we're selling some really really beautiful and very high-priced uh, eastern bottles Sure. So now, how did you, Jeff? How did you yourself get started in in this whole? Oh, uh, you don't want to ask me that. No, I do. I, <laughs> um, you know, I you got I hit in the head with a bottle, right? With your yeah. or something. Um, I lived in Aptos, uh, which is right next to the Santa Cruz Mountains, and we used to go up and just uh, hang around out there, and we poke around old redwood trees, and they they used to throw. Um, Old, the miners, the uh, up there it was the lumber um, people, and they would set up camps, and often they would use bottles for their oil. Um, I have a bottle over here that was actually found in the Santa Cruz Mountains, sticking out of the side of a hill, and it was full of uh, oil, which Still they used full. for their saws. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. For the old hand saws, they would just put oil right. on the plates. That, that was, you know, Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, if you've been up there, it's just um, full of redwood trees. And mm-hmm. uh, so I um, started collecting. Then there were uh, some other diggers um, from that area, and we just started collecting. And uh, I went off to college and lived in the Bay Area for a long time. And I was reading the B one day, and there was a bottle show. This is twenty years later. Newtown B, mm-hmm. um, actually oh, the Sacramento, Sacramento B. Okay. And there was a bottle show in Auburn, and I went up, and it was like uh, everything just started coming back to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I still had uh, a lot to learn, but uh, yeah, I, it was uh, really special to me when I was younger, and just getting back into it was uh, sheer joy. And how did you get toward the bottle auctions themselves? Uh, there was a guy here, uh, he was running auctions out of Tracy, and mm-hmm. he didn't last very long. He lasted about three auctions. And uh, my background is in marketing and journalism, and I had a marketing company, and I saw this opening for an auction house in the area, on the West Coast anyway, and I thought it might be an interesting thing to uh, pursue. Wow. That's, uh, that takes a bit of faith to, to do something like that. I mean, there's no, as far as I know, there's not too many bottle auctions in the country, right? Um, really, uh, a lot of people look at it as uh, there only being three. Uh, myself, Glassworks, uh, Norm mm-hmm. Heckler, but there are a number of other auction houses now. Um, they're starting up. They've been around for a year or two. And um, mm-hmm. they seem to be doing very well. It's great to see um, other auction houses starting and uh, just, you know, letting people know about antique it's more bottles. of awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. People think we're crazy for promoting other auctions. And I just tell them, uh, hey, you get them interested in, in collecting bottles, uh, 
when their auction's over, where do you think they're going to go? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. Very, so very, very mature and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and Chi-Chi, how did you get... Uh, now, Chi-Chi, uh, if you go to the website, which I'll also have a link to on my website, um, it says in About Us that you're the glue that holds the company together. Yes. <laughs> how did you get started? Well, I actually had a really good friend that uh, used to work for Jeff, <clears throat> and she got pregnant mm. and had to leave. And she said, you know, my boss is looking for someone, so if you um, want to come and try it out. Mm-hmm. I did. That was almost 12 years ago. Huh. Um, I did stop working. I don't know. She what, left me. Yeah, Uh-oh. I did. <laughs> but then I came back. Your back. I, yeah. I got my senses back. And, you know, in between then I had two kids, got married. And I'm back, so and I really wow. love my job. I really do. It's whenever I tell people what I do, they're like, "You do what?" Yeah. You know. So, well, people say that about the auction business in general. Never in general, mind uh, yeah. a specialty like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. I love it. I have learned a lot. I, I don't collect bottles. Really, but wow. I've learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. And she's actually one of the first uh, office managers that I've had that that does pay attention and she mm-hmm. she happens to uh, be able to know a, a good bottle from a bad bottle yeah or reproduction and it's getting a lot easier for me because I don't have to well I get probably 15 to 20 emails a day asking for appraisals long little really? phone calls uh-huh. so uh, that keeps us really busy in fact we just set up a uh, designated line just for appraisals uh, really on our website mm-hmm. so if you have anything you need appraised go yeah. to our website and click on appraisals and we'll be more than happy to and that's help uh, you um, evaluate your bottle and is no that uh, cost um, to have no, no charge whatsoever that's that's really nice so yeah. nice service and then I bet you a percentage of those people will get you a consignment yeah and a lot of people uh, for instance I just opened that it's a soda bottle um, mm-hmm. This is on his computer screen. Uh, I um, I just happen to know that bottle, and uh, generally it sells uh, in the five hundred plus range. So that's uh, an average email I get. A, a lot of them are um, Clorox bottles, yes. and Bromo seltzers, the blue, the beautiful blue. Yeah, and, um, and, and the brown. How yeah. people think they're valuable, but yeah. Now, uh, what, along those lines, I I was working here in the Bay Area in a very active auction house. And for five years, and in those five years, I probably saw ten really decent bottles. And that's out of um, that auction house would get in six thousand items a month, divided up into about two thousand lots. So in houses in California, you rarely see rare bottles. Yeah, um, and that's the thing about rare bottles and valuable bottles is they're very rare. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you know, a story comes out that we just set another world's record for the highest price bottle ever sold. Yeah, that um, was a bitters bottle. You want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, the recent uh, sale of our favorite bitters, frankly, I thought it got a little out of hand. <laughs> There's actually two variants of it. It's called People's Favorite Bitters and Favorite Bitters. And the Favorite Bitters came out first. They wanted to actually call it People's, but they had applied for a patent. They got it. Um, so there are two different bottles, uh, very similar in shape, and the first one we had came from a woman who found it uh, in a wall of her house ah. when they were redoing it. Love it. 
And the second one came from a gentleman whose father gave it to him uh, as part of his collection. We we put it up for sale, and uh, lo and behold, uh, generally we estimated that bottle at about twenty-five thousand, and it ended up coming in at, uh, believe, around $64,000. is not that something? Now, um, are your auctions live, or are they um, they're, they're where people place bids? We call them an absentee live auction because mm-hmm. they are uh, online. You can look at uh, photos of the bottles. You can look at a streaming video of each bottle, mm-hmm. and that's something kind of uh, new that we started nice. doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it gives you the impression that you're kind of holding the bottle and uh, getting every angle, uh, which is important. Um, it certainly uh, cut down on the number of bottles being returned. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that we had a lot, but in our last auction, I think we had uh, one or two uh, real uh, reasons for returning the bottle, and that, that was just my uh, screw-up in, mm-hmm. in description. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a, a live auction, and you just go online, you... you you have your own bidding uh, little chart there, and you can see what you're bidding on if you're outbid. And uh, you're is this always, any service, or are you using your own? Uh, I have a private uh, software mm-hmm. um, that I use that I pay for. Mm-hmm. Along with the online option, we also have a catalog that we send out um, to. I believe we're getting close to. Over well, we're over three thousand, and I know we're growing. Every auction, it's just uh, seems like we get um, more and more people that are uh, wanting to get on our mailing list. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we'll have two hundred two fifty to three hundred bottles, and uh, over three thousand catalogs out. So, you know, wow. you can do the math and and realize that um, that's why we get some pretty high prices. Now, did you were you doing these auctions before the internet? You were doing in the nineties, yeah. And was that like a mail order bid? It's kind of been um, a little bit of everything. We started out with just phones mm-hmm. and mail. People would mail in bids, and then um, as we started getting uh, more advanced, um, at the time everybody was doing black and white, and and I said this is ridiculous. You can't <laughs> show a purple inkwell in black and white. Mm-hmm. So we went to color, which obviously cost more, but it was well worth it. And the other auction houses followed suit. Um, we started uh, putting out, I first started the auctions advertising um, a two-page spread uh, in the National uh, Antique Bottle Magazine. And that was, um, that was great until he said, I don't want you advertising anymore. And I said, fine. So we started doing our own uh, printing, and it's just become larger and larger. And after a while, I just said, the heck with it. Let's just send these things out at no charge. Um, I think we're coming to to a day where people are not going to be paying for their um, antique uh, bottle or any sort of collectible um, catalogs anymore. I think they... They should be sent out, um, and uh, it definitely helps increase the uh, sales, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. it's done wonders, really, for um, the values sure. that sure. we get. Now, one of the things I've noticed in general in the business, and I mentioned this in other podcasts, too, is the upper-end pieces are going for all the money today, and then 
the lower end market and the middle market is suffering. Is that the same thing with bottles? Yeah, um, I would say uh, the average bottle has gone up, uh, you know, maybe 10-20% depending on the bottle. There's a few categories that have gone down, but uh, the categories that are just really uh, kicking butt right now are uh, the bitters bottles and the historical flasks. Oh, yes. And I, I like some of the historical flasks. Yeah, and that, well, coming from New England... Uh, Keen glass. And yes, all Keen. Uh, um, you get, you know, uh, just some remarkable uh, glass houses back there that produce some of the uh, most collectible um, bottles today. Mm -hmm. Now, um, a couple of things. I knew someone that one time that had a commemorative flask. It's, it wasn't that old. I think it was... 1870, whenever the the uh, the railroad dedication uh -huh. was. S success to the railroad. Yes. Yeah. Now, that's not a real valuable. She was claiming it was worth a lot of money. It was 18, uh, yeah. Um, there was a period, commemorative flash, usually uh, they end in around the 70s. They did make a few afterwards, but um, the real, the real uh, heavy-duty pieces are going to be um, really from 1840 and even earlier to um, the uh, 1860s. And not all of them are pondled. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and the success of the railroad, uh, there are a number of variants. Um, there's a chance that it could have been worth some decent money, but generally you can pick up a railroad uh, success of the railroad flask for a few hundred bucks. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, there's reproductions, lots and lots of... Before I get into the reproductions, <laughs> um, my general thought is bottles are kind of like books. There's like one out of a thousand has value and the other ones have a very minimal value. Is that Boy, a good I assumption? Boy, I wish that, that people out there that collected bottles uh, understood that. Um, it is so true. Um, I know that after the Bryant's Bitters sold, we were on television. It was on CNN, actually. And um, nice. I had every person with a bottle <laughs> that said bitters on it calling me, wondering how many thousands of dollars it was worth. Yeah. And um, I tried to explain to them that, you know, uh, a Hostetter's Bitters or a Lash's Bitters or any of these very common bitters usually sell in the 20 to... $30 range, and um, believe me, it, it took uh, uh, a long time before people could understand that. Now, this is uh, probably going to sound a little ignorant, but I don't know what bitters are. What are bitters? Bitters are a uh, medicinal um, drink that uh, they invented. Uh, it goes back, um, I'm sure, to Europe and, and beyond, but Really, they became popular in the United States around the 1850s. And they were really alcohol and a laxative. <laughs> and if that didn't make you feel better, then nothing would. Ah. And a lot of them had uh, you know, opiates in them, uh, cocaine, um, yes. just everything. Uh, and they did make you feel better. Yeah, we had this, uh, I, I spoke with a guy named Phelps Fullerton, a few podcasts ago on advertising, and we got pretty heavy duty into the uh, the drugs uh, for children. Oh, <laughs> just terrible! So uh, there's a good uh, way to put them to sleep. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, <laughs> uh, Winslow's soothing syrup, for for instance. He mentioned uh, that one. 
that yeah. uh, that was sold uh, by the millions, and there they, there were more addicted children out there. Yeah, uh, sad, really. Yeah. That uh, they, I'm sure, didn't quite understand why their baby was crying so much after they didn't have their Winslow's soothing syrup. Uh, you know, <laughs> thankfully, uh, 1912, the uh, yeah. Food Act uh, changed things, and and um, you know uh, things got a lot better. Now, do you do anything with European models, or is it strictly American? We really try and stick with American, although there's a lot of wonderful early English, Dutch uh, pieces, that um, Dutch onions, that sort of thing. Um, I have a bottle coming up in this auction that has uh, just simply a seal in the shoulder that says 1791. And um, that's the thing with uh, European and continental glass. You're going back... Um, quite a bit uh, earlier than most American bottles. Is that called a seal bottle? Is that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are books that um, kind of they've really got it down to most of the ones that are known. And luckily, that one's listed. So now, how um, I'm going to ask you to answer this question, okay, Chi How careful does the collector have to be of reproductions? Very careful. Okay. I think, but I mean, I think most, I mean, this is from my, yeah. you know, newly found knowledge of bottles, that I think most reproductions to me are pretty obvious, mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a collector, anyone who's actually collecting bottles, it's going to be pretty obvious to them. I mean, there's certain things that you look for, like, is it Wheaton glass, where it's actually embossed on the bottle, um, mm-hmm. and Wheaton is, you know, known for reproducing glass. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to tell. I think that the new collector needs to be pretty careful of that. How about if someone, for instance, I've seen, um, I saw a very ni- what I thought was a very nice bottle that ended up being a reproduction. And it looked early, but it was made in Williamsburg as a copy um, of an early bottle. And the person that evidently had the bottle had scuffed it just right on the base and everything mm-hmm. that looked... You know, those are really, those can be tough, a, a copy like that in Williamsburg or something like that. Right. And right. that is something that we, you would just probably need to see in hand. So. I think so. I think so. There there are people, unfortunately, who... Um, fake? Fake bottles. Sure. Yeah. And in that case, it's not necessarily reproduction. It's just someone yes. who's being dishonest. Anywhere there's money to be made in this business, there are fakes. Exactly. And I, everyone I've interviewed, all the way down to $20 buttons for World War II mm-hmm. are reproduced. Mm-hmm. You know, so any, anytime there's any money to be made, and I don't want to necessarily pick on eBay, but um, you know, these things are um, sold in high quantities right. on eBay or any other way that someone can figure out how to sell something. It's just the facts. And so how would you caution the novice collector? I would have to ask Jeff on, on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, First of all, yeah, just uh, send us a picture of what you have, and we'll be more than happy to uh, give you our opinion. Um, It's funny you brought up reproductions, because this week we were dealing with a few bottles that were really good. I mean, uh, they're very early reproductions. Clevenger did... uh, most of the early reproductions, uh-huh. probably the most well-known is Heard the E.G. Booze. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and they started out with some really wonderful stuff. This guy, Emma Larson, um, even uh, knowing that it's a reproduction done by him, uh, gives it value. Uh, mm-hmm. Not nearly the value as an original, um, but they started doing, they got the original mold from the Whitney Glassworks to do the E.G. Booth. So um, there are uh, subtle differences. Some of them have fooled me, and mm-hmm. uh, there are ways to to. Uh, really nail it down, but um, that probably is the number one bottle that we see. Um, I uh, at least once or twice a week, someone emails me or calls me about a, an EG booze bottle that they have that's worth five thousand dollars, and I always hate to disappoint them, but mm-hmm. uh, I can't uh, make a silk purse from uh, a pig's ear. Now, um, yes, the glass is one of those things. However. That is difficult to, to um, date. Right. So you really have to, you know, well, as the years go by and like Clevenger, what, night up to 1940s or whatever yeah. it was. Um, but as years go by, another hundred years from now, not that we have to worry about it, but um, well, you know, it's going to be harder and harder for the experts to... Uh, it will be, although um, many of the bottles that are cataloged and are known will remain that way. Uh, there's so many books out that um, catalog the different variants that it's going to be real hard. There was a guy that was uh, melting old glass and blowing bottles. Wow. He made his own molds, <laughs> um, and he was uh, bringing them out kind of slowly and carefully at shows. <laughs> and he had people fooled for a while, mm-hmm. um, but uh, eventually it was it was found out that um, what he was doing and. The glass was just, it looked too old, it looked too crude, it was just too nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bottles that are that crude and, and old looking usually have some sort of uh, patina on them that is identifiable, that gives them a, a real look of age, and these these were just wrong. And that's not uh, the only um, uh, incident. Another guy, guy, he glued on resin embossing oh. to a, a an old bottle like uh-huh. an, an old whiskey fifth and he he just glued on the embossing that he had put resin in in a mold and it it worked great for about six months until the letters started falling <laughs> off and this guy um in the meantime uh got out of town pretty fast and i know uh Wow. I heard that they've seen him uh, sometime after, but um, it's a pretty funny story. Yeah, yes. Um, you're a collector, I assume, yes? Yeah. And what is your favorite type of bottle? Is it Californiania? How do you say that? Californiania? Uh, ca- um, yeah, Californian. Um, yeah, I. you know, I started out collecting uh, Western bottles, whiskey bottles, uh, pretty much anything that caught my eye. Uh, my collection is very diverse. Uh, it's not an advanced, people would think that I have a really advanced collection, but I don't because I get to see a whole new collection three times a year. Well, I just looked at your, your marble collection, which is yeah. beautiful. So I, I, Very I kinda, rare. <laughs> There's some rare pieces. There are. Mm-hmm. I've got some really nice marbles, and I think that was a result of just, you know, uh, after 25 years of uh, looking at bottles, um, to kind of take a breather and start um, uh, looking at something else, which just happened to be made of glass, mm-hmm. also. 
Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot to learn about marvels. You can mm. really spend a great deal of time um, uh, with the different types of marvels. Uh, they're just basically handmade before 1900 in Europe, and uh, after 1900 they started making them in the United States. Uh, what about clay marbles? They were were they earlier? The clay marbles are earlier. Um, generally, they're called Bennington's. Right. And they come mm-hmm. in various colors. Um, generally, they're not a, a expensive marble. They were just right. uh-huh. um, a cheap marble that yeah. you could get a pocket full and. Yeah, the glass marbles, uh, the art, beautiful artwork, and some of the glasses. Yeah, some nice. Really, when you look at uh, some marbles made in the 1850s, it's remarkable what they had to work with and. Mm-hmm. The products they produced were incredible. Mm, mm. Now, the Bitters Bottle you sold... Boy, that's hard to say, Bitters Bottle. Bitters, bitters Bottles. 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 Yeah, bitters bottles. well, that you, <laughs> So the Bitters Bottle that you sold at auction that brought just shy $65,000, the most expensive bottle at auction, or American bottle anyway, That right? Uh, yes? No. no. Actually, that that isn't. Uh, <laughs> Was that a misprint? Uh, well, uh, the we sold a Bryant's Bitters bottle uh, at auction in 19... Uh, boy, it seems like a long time ago. 98, 99. Anyway, uh, that was the one that was on CNN and... Uh, mm-hmm. um, that was uh, sixty-eight, seven, something like that. Oh, okay. So, so this, uh, this one went for sixty-four. Yeah. So, so we'll say that that one. It was like the second most valuable. But you know, there's a lot that uh, we sell in the twenties, thirties, forty thousand, and there are uh, private sales um, that go on that exceed that amount. I was just going to ask you. That was. Say um, the most expensive bottle at auction. What is there the uh, holy grail of bottles that has not come up at auction? Um, as far as bitters bottles go, uh, yeah, I mean there's still some pieces out there that w- would command over a hundred thousand easy. Really? Um, you know, there's there's collections that people don't know about. Uh, that uh, I mean, not everybody goes to bottle shows and is out front about their collections and stuff. Some people just collect bottles because they like bottles, and and that's really how the hobby started was just pure aesthetics. Uh, they didn't have much value, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but as we've evolved and prices have become uh, an issue, um, yeah, you're gonna. I believe that in the bidders and the flash market, you are going to start seeing um, sales of, of bottles in the fifty to two hundred thousand dollar range becoming really? uh, the norm. Wow, that's, yeah. that's it's, awesome. It's amazing, and and this is really the first time uh, that that's really happened because we are we're starting to catch up with stamps, coins, uh-huh. and those other collectibles that are selling for millions, even though. Like a T two O six Honus Wagner, you can buy uh, mm-hmm. a Grade two for uh, eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. You know, for eight hundred thousand, you can buy uh, ten of the greatest models you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're you're comparing apples to oranges at this point, but um, we are definitely uh, advancing uh, uh, in the bottle world. Nice. And you're talking about awareness earlier. How has the internet changed the collecting? Night and day. Uh, When we started, there may have been four or five sites for antique bottles 
Um, now, uh, I actually, um, I prepared a speech I did in Ohio at the Federation show a couple weekends ago. And uh, I had Chi-Chi go online, didn't I, Chi-Chi? Yes. And uh, she counted, I think, uh, over 100. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and, nice. and there's all kinds of links to other glass pages, and it's just really, really opening up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, some of the bottles, I let's see, I know of, uh, I may be thinking of pitchers, I think, Jersey glass, um, um, sandwich glass, Models, mm-hmm. Beautiful like stuff. Yeah, I love the colors of some of the sandwiches. Yeah. Now I know that that they had something about the furnaces or something in sandwich. The the pieces are never really big. They're smaller pieces mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, and they were the first company to really be able to interchange um, tops yes. and bottoms of lamps. They use these right. wafers. The wafers that join together. Yes. And you see a lot of New mm-hmm. England glass uh, that looks very similar and and close, but it's not sandwich. Sandwich is uh, uh, they're uh, definitely mm-hmm. uh, a step uh, above everyone else at that. At that time, now I talked um, at great length to a guy named Ray Barlow. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yes. I don't know Ray, but I yeah. have all his books. Yeah, and he told me that for him to identify sandwich glass for certain, he bought where the furnaces were, and dug in the sand and and all the seconds and the things that were thrown out. That's how he knew for sure that these pieces were. He was able yeah, to identify and, the sandwich. And. Uh, uh, I believe, uh, well, Kaiser is the co-writer of uh, the sandwich books, um, and I know they did uh, unearth uh, quite a few uh, artifacts at the factory. I have uh, a glass link that they made. It was just a, a chain made of glass that they would throw to, to people <laughs> in the crowds uh, uh, in parades on, on 4th of July. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, they threw necklaces, threw glass, glass <laughs> bracelets. <laughs> Gotta catch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to talk to you real quickly about this uh, book you just set here in front of me. Um, and it's called The Best of the West Antique Western Bitters Bottles. The Art of Collecting Antique Western Bitters Bottles by your name here. And you published, uh, when was this book published? Oh, boy. Um, I'll tell you by opening it up. Yeah, tell me when it was. <laughs> 1999, 1999, first printing. 1999, yeah. And that was just really a labor of love. Who's that guy? Uh, some hippie on the inside. <laughs> so, um, is this book out of print currently? Uh, no, it's available uh, from me, and um, I actually am offering them uh, at no price to anyone that wants uh, a copy. All I need to do is contact uh-huh. me, and I'll send them a hardcover. Uh, I have hardcover and softcover, so um, you may or may not get um, the hardcover, but you'll certainly get a copy of the book. So you do free appraisals, and you're sending out free books. Yes, and we <laughs> hand out free pens, too, with our name on them. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you have an auction coming up in uh, We're looking September? at uh, the date is um, not in concrete yet. We're, we generally, once we are prepared to go, we look at uh, the other auction houses, what they're doing. We uh-huh. don't want to have an auction while they're having one. Sure. We look at holidays. We look at just the general time. Really, there's no bad time to have an auction. I've had them 
on uh, April 15th, people said, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. I say, do you read the papers? More people get refunds than uh, they have to pay. Uh, we've had them before Christmas. People think that's crazy. Well, guess what? They're buying gifts for their family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no bad time to have an auction, and uh, we'll probably have this next one sometime in uh, October. Now, do you like to have a certain amount of bottles uh, available before you, or is it a numbers game? Um, it's really, we go by pretty much, we'll, we'll do a 48-page uh, catalog, and that can mm-hmm. accommodate um, between 250 and 300 or so bottles. Now, have you ever considered having a live auction at, say, a really big bottle show like they do for, say, decoy, their decoy shows and um, things like that where they'll have an event with a live auction? Well, um, it's actually, uh, it's doable. Um, I'm just not sure how many people would uh, participate uh, in person when they can Sure. Like I say, sit in their pajamas and, and yeah. just... That's what I see a lot happening at auctions. I've seen attendance dropping. Um, I see um, previews are still fairly heavy, but those people will go home. They'll look at the item, go home, and sit and get on live auctioneers. or there you go. And they'll yeah. get... And uh, back east, um, I'm going back there actually for two weeks uh, this weekend. Back east... Um, people did not take to the live auctions in a lot of the rural areas like New Hampshire and stuff like that. Um, a lot of people that attend the auctions have uh, quite a resentment to uh, Internet bidding. Just, oh, I bet. Well, just like they did when phone bidding. Oh, popular. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, that um, I can understand that. They've driven uh, six yeah. hours to get to some place in the middle of nowhere and I got to just all I do is pick up the phone and say hey I put yeah. uh, 1400 on lot number 38 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I win it and they don't you but, know but there is no replacement for actually looking at the piece you're bidding on especially if it's a very valuable piece mm-hmm. um, that's why we have people fly out from all over the country to look at items coming up for ourselves. You do. You have yeah. people actually come here and take a look Absolutely. at them Absolutely. Yeah. Georgia, Texas. If uh, they're going to spend that kind of money, they Oh, yeah. 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 And some sure. of them, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, they've got a hundred grand they want to they sell. That's nice. Yeah. yeah to have so. Where's the bottle hobby going these days? Well, I think that we are, um, and this is what I talked about in our um, in a speech I did in Ohio. Uh, I first talked about the history of bottle collecting, um, how it became so popular in the 70s. It was the second most popular thing to collect in the 1970s. During the 80s, we had a little bit of a letdown because we had a lot of people interested in bottles, but we didn't have a, a way of communicating to each other that we had bottles for sale or just to talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly, we went through the 90s, 95 eBay comes along. We've got more websites. We've got auctions online. You can go on uh, almost any site. Just type in antique bottle, and, and you'll be seeing antique bottles for the rest of the day. And <laughs> that is one of the reasons. People also um, have this... Uh, desire to own something that other people want, and if no one else doesn't, no one else wants it. They don't necessarily want it, but if they, you know, if, if they know that other people are looking to um, 
collect that piece. And some of these new flat the flasks coming out, a, a, a blue uh, firecracker just sold for a hundred thousand. Uh, a blue uh, Dr. Fish's bitter sold for two hundred thousand. They are starting to um, get the idea that that maybe instead of buying a, a, a painting uh, or a coin or a stamp, that um, an antique bottle is way more pretty, beautiful. You can put sure. them in the window. I they agree. look like a stained glass uh, mm-hmm. menagerie, and it's all it has history. It's been it's handmade. There were people holding these in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. There were you know you have this uh, real. Uh, aesthetically pleasing and historically significant uh, item and there's no reason that glass shouldn't start uh, breaking records on a regular basis Mm -hmm. compared to some of the other uh, collectibles out there. What is the general demographics of a collector today? Um, Well, it's it's across the board. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, you got your, uh, as usual, you have your, your Big boys up there, the whales that um, can um, afford whatever they want, and then you have your die-hard collectors that kind of spread it out and um, still uh, put together a, a nice collection. One more question I have for you: Where do you get your consignments? We get them from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, a and little they, old do lady they trickle in, or is it just, do you get collections? Yeah, uh, sometimes we'll get a collection. Uh, we'll travel. We'll buy a complete collection. Um, sometimes uh, we'll get a collection consigned to us. Um, other times it's just um, uh, a bottle here and a bottle there, but they're really, really good bottles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's um, just an assemblage of uh, people say, when's your next auction? And I, I ask them, uh, when you give me, you know, your collection. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's uh, when we have, uh, you know, it's like real estate. You're only as good as your last sale. Exactly. And, um, people have short-term memories today, too. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you've uh, you got to stay uh, very active. ahead of the competition and yep. very active, and, and that's what we do. Okay, Chi-Chi, why don't you give out the website address here? It's uh, www.americanbottle.com. American Bottle? AmericanBottle.com. Singular. Yes. 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 All right, very good. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much. And I'm going to take a little video, of uh, which will be up uh, below this, uh, this podcast, little video here in the office. And this is Martin Willis with Jeff Wishman. And Chi-Chi and Raw signing off. Perfect. Today's show was brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash auction podcast for your free audiobook download. There are over 75,000 titles to choose from. We thank you for listening today and we hope you enjoyed the show.